computer like 2015, whoa, <laughs> thing still operates? Yeah, it does. Uh, and uh, and, and the, the service technician or said to me, yeah, and if you upgrade, yours will be a lot faster than this. And he's like, you know, like going crazy, hitting buttons and trying to make it speed up and all that. Um, and so technology has made me impatient. Uh, and um, uh, how many of you guys have uh, hit enter and then hit it two or three times as if that's actually going to help you in some crazy kind of way? Yes, you need a new processor, sir. You do. Yes, ma'am, you do too. Yeah, and you need to upgrade your 2015 MacBook um, quickly. <laughs> um, one of the hardest things for me to do, and again, I don't know about you guys. Um, I'll probably get some amen second service, but uh, not so much here because you guys are, you know, you guys are all together like that. But one of, one of the hardest things for me to do is wait, is wait on God, uh, to wait. Um, I, I, can, I can quote you the scriptures that talk about waiting on God and the importance of doing that. Um, uh, but, but, but one of the hardest things... For me to do is to is to be still and to wait and to even tell others that's what I'm doing because I think sometimes when we say oh we're waiting on the Lord sometimes people take that as okay you're just being lazy it's like what are you talking about especially in situations that only God can move in sometimes we think that we can expedite things that only God can do Okay, again, like second service is going to be like, you know, sister so-and-so is going to be running back and forth, waving her hands and um, amening and, you know, you got me, pastor. And, um, but here's the thing. Um, Ruth chapter 3 gives us an excellent example of waiting and working. Waiting and working. So while you wait for what you hope for, Allow God to accomplish the thing for which he hopes, that is, that you might become more mature in Christ. God's goal, among other things, is for us to be more Christ-like, maturity, to grow in Christ. That's the byproduct of being patient and having to wait. Waiting is not passive. It's intentionally removing yourself from the process that leads to the outcome to create space for God to move. Waiting is not passive. It's intentionally removing yourself from the process that leads to the outcome to create space in order for God to move. Um, What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for what you have already done in this place this morning. We thank you for your presence among us, and we pray, God, that you would give us that something that we need today. And Holy Spirit, you know exactly what that is, and we say yes and amen in advance to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Boaz has shown incredible kindness to Ruth. Let me give it just a real brief recap of what we talked about last week. Ruth is a foreigner. As we mentioned, she's a Moabite, and she's now living in Israel. Uh, she has providentially ended up in the fields where Bo- that Boaz owns, and she begins to glean grain from the harvesters uh, for herself and for her mother-in-law, Naomi. 
Uh, she's poor. They're poor. To be a widow in antiquity is to have no, with no family is to have no options. There was no home. There was no welfare program. Uh, Pastor, uh, uh, Pastor Jim and Heather weren't going to drive by with a truck full of food for you. You know, no, there was none of that. Uh, the, what there was was the process of gleaning, and that is where you would go to a field and the harvesters were told to leave food on the field for the widows and the orphans and the foreigners, the strangers, those who maybe didn't have family. So Boaz has shown incredible kindness to Ruth, and that's one of the key words in this book is kindness. She, she is allowed to drink the water that the men have drawn to drink for themselves. The women typically had to go and draw their own water, and it was typically a distance away. So when they were doing that, they could not glean because you had to have water because it's hot and it's dry. Think August in Las Vegas, okay, working outside, you need some water. He's invited her to eat at his table, and he's instructed his men to leave some extra extra uh, in other words, when you typically leave what you leave for those who come and glean after the harvest, leave a little extra for Ruth and don't be mad at her if she takes a whole bunch. He's instructed his men to treat her kindly whether they want to or not. And the inference is, I bet not hear about y'all talking about Ruth in a bad way because y'all going to deal with me. And he probably said, y'all understand what I'm saying? And they probably said, yes, sir. And now get on out here and make me some money. <laughs> I need to get paid today. I'm going to pay you too because he was a just man who seemingly had a great relationship with his workers. Ruth tells Naomi, her mother-in-law, that she has worked in the field of Boaz and that, uh, uh, and Naomi mentions that the uh, Boaz is a near relative, and she gets super excited. You remember that that um, Naomi and her husband Elimelech and her two sons they they leave Israel and they go to Moab because there's a famine in the land. And while they are there, all three of the men die. Her two sons and her husband die. So she comes back barren. She comes back with nothing uh, except for Ruth. And that's the story, the quick story of why Ruth is even there. And now they've got to try to struggle to survive and to make ends meet. So when she goes into the field of Naomi, uh, in the, uh, the fields of Boaz, uh, she comes back to her mother-in-law and says, I, you know, I met this great guy and he's, and he, he's been, showed me amazing kindness. And Naomi goes, you don't know, oh my goodness, he's a near relative. He's a, he's a kinsman or a close relative. And she gets super excited about that. And this is the first time we've maybe seen Naomi smile because she went out full and she came back empty. Uh, she went out with expectation and came back with dashed hope. She comes back to Jerusalem, to Israel, and she has no hope at all and this is the first maybe bit of really good news that she hears because she recognizes something about this man named Boaz he is a a goel everybody say goel sometimes it's translated kinsman redeemer uh he he's in 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 the 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 life of Israel uh there was a specific role that the kinsman redeemer 
uh, played. For example, he was responsible to buy a, a relative out of slavery because if you had a debt and you could not pay that debt, you could offer yourself as a slave uh, to, a, to an owner or whatever to pay off that debt. Uh, but sometimes they could never pay uh, themselves out of uh, slavery. And so the kinsman, it was his job to pay the money to say, let my people go. Uh-uh, uh-uh. You can't enslave them all their lives. They, they paid their debt. Now let them set them free. He was responsible to be the avenger of blood to make sure that if one of his family members was murdered, that whoever the murderer was had to, had to pay the penalty for the crime. Uh, That was his responsibility. He was responsible to buy back land if land had been forfeited because once again, if you're a widow and maybe you had, your family had some land, but you can't afford to keep that land, uh, then there was a possibility that you would lose it. But the kinsman's job was to buy that back so the land would stay in the family. God owned the land and he didn't want it exploited by rich people who would take advantage of people, in, his, in particular widows. So the kinsman had that responsibility because it turned out that the property was God's and it really mattered to him that all of his children had what he had allotted to them. The kinsman was also responsible to carry on the family name by marrying a childless widow. And we will, we will get to that. Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10 is a, is a biblical reference. And so we leave off in chapter 2 with Ruth headed back to the fields to glean until the end of the barley or wheat harvest season. It's another seven or eight weeks from where she's at. So she, she's met Boaz, she's given that information to Naomi. Naomi's fired up because now she has hope. And what does Ruth do? She goes right back to the field. Right back to the field, back to work, waiting for the right time. Waiting for further instruction. But here's what she's doing. She's waiting and she's working. She's waiting and she's working. Don't stop working while you are waiting. She's busy being a kingdom girl, working in the fields that God has planted her in. She's using her hands, using her might, using her strength. She's not idle. She's not sitting around, quote unquote, waiting on God. You know, now that we know there's something here, I'm just going to stay home and chill until, until something happens. No, she's busy. She's busy. We like that about her. And that's actually something that would catch the eye of everybody that worked around her. So chapter 3, the time has come. The time has come. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now she gives her a little more intel on what this whole kinsman-redeemer process is all about. Now Boaz, whose young women uh, you were with, is he not our relative, our kinsman? Our Redeemer. In, in fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment. Go down to the threshing floor. Do, uh, do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down and he, shall t- and he will tell you what to do. Okay, what? What? <laughs> what? Uh, 
Okay, let me break this down to you, because culturally, we, some of y'all done already checked out. Like, if you just picked up the Bible and you read this, you'd be like, oh, man, uh-uh, oh, no way. That's crazy. That's not how you get a man. Oh. The kindness of Ruth towards her mother-in-law. Kindness is one of the key words of this book. She's willing to travel back with her mother-in-law to a land she knows nothing about. She's willing to stay with her. She's willing to let her people be her people. But she didn't even know what that meant at the time. Uh, she's, she's willing to, to let Naomi's God be her God. She's all in. She's in Moab. She's got nothing. She's a widow. It's probably worse for her there because they don't even care about that. But she recognizes something. And I believe God was working in her heart and working in her circumstances. And I'm saying to you this morning, don't despise the times that God is trying to work in your heart and trying to get your attention. God is always working in our hearts. He's speaking, he's moving, he's prodding, he's arranging. He's putting us in situations where we have no place to go but to him. That's where she was. And she didn't say, oh, well, I'm just going to stay here in Moab and die. She goes, no, there's opportunity with you. I see something about you and something about your God. And I'll, where you go, I'm going to go. And it's going, whatever happens, it's going to be worse than, it's going to be better than Moab. I just know that much. She had no, she'd never been to this place. She didn't know anybody there. She's leaving everything behind and she's going to be with her because of her God. And she is kind to her mother-in-law. She's like a daughter now, guys. You know what I'm saying? She's a daughter. She's not even, she's not even just her daughter-in-law. She's a daughter. She initiates going to work. She says, let me get, let me, I'll get, you stay home, I'll get busy. I'm young. I can, I can do it. I don't know anybody. I don't know where I'm going to go, but I'm just going to go. And God directs her right where she needs to be. She provides for herself, and she provides for her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she doesn't want to be a burden to her. And, and that caught Boaz's eye. And so the kindness that she gave was given back to her. Now Naomi extends kindness to Ruth. And she says, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? You never know what one act of kindness can do or how it will come back to you. As followers of Jesus, we must be kind people. We must be. Because Jesus has given us the ultimate kindness because we have received the kindness of God through Jesus Christ, his loving because of that. We must be a kind people. I didn't say we had it all worked out, especially when we're impatient. We need to be kind to other people, not because it's a virtue or because the world needs what the world's need now is kind. No, what the world needs now is Jesus. And sometimes the way that you reach people is through kindness. He has extended his kindness to us. Therefore, I extend kindness to others. <clears throat> I act, one act of kindness can change someone's day. 
one encounter with the kindness of God can change someone's eternity. Now, back to the story. It seems a bit inappropriate for Naomi to suggest that Ruth make the first move. Seems like she's sort of taking matters into her own hands, doesn't it? Well, not really. Since Boaz was already recognized as the Goel, the kinsman or the kinsman redeemer for the family of Elimelech, this is Naomi's husband who died, Ruth could appeal to him to secure the lineage for Elimelech's family and take her in marriage. She's, what she's basically doing is... Is, tell, is, is reminding him of the, of the commitment that he has already. And because if Boaz didn't fulfill his duty towards Elimelech and marry Ruth, then the direct family name of Elimelech would perish. And it turned out that God really cared about that. God wanted family names to go on. He wanted them to continue on. Uh, Uh, perpetuating the family name of Elimelech and every man in Israel was an important obligation. And it was important to God to preserve the institution of the family in Israel. Hey, folks, it is important to God to preserve the institution of the family today as well. That explains why the family unit is so attacked in our culture Because the family unit is God's design for a righteous, healthy society. That's God's design. And what does man do? Well, this is what we do. We try to redefine what God has designed. We don't have the authority to do that. God takes that seriously when the family is attacked. This whole thing may seem very forward to us, but it was quite regular and culturally appropriate during those days. It was. She wasn't out of line or being pushy or throwing herself at Boaz. No, no, it was, it was, it was, it was culturally appropriate. Now, the dating culture of today is not proper. Anybody who's single and watching me online, the dating culture of today is not proper. Swipe right, swipe left. Google it. This one-on-one exclusive dating has its challenges. Question, isn't it better to get to know someone in the context of a group I know some of y'all went, no. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. It, it's certainly safer. Oh, let me just rewind some 27 years ago when, when God interrupted me and told me that this woman was going to be my wife, and it was not an interruption. It was a welcome interruption. And, and I was like, what? And I wanted time with her. But I didn't know how to get it. And I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll ask her out to dinner. 
Because first I thought, I'll ask her out to lunch. But then I know she works, and it may not be as much time. And I want some exclusive time, so I'll ask her to dinner. And the Holy Spirit, now again, this never happens to you. The Holy Spirit is going, don't do that. Don't do that. And I'm like, yeah. So I go, maybe we could get together and have dinner or... And this is what she said. She went, ah, you know, if it's in a group, that might be fun. Hmm. A group. A a group of people. Not just exclusive, because I want to spend time with you I don't want a bunch of people around. Ah, uh, I get what she was saying. She was saying, no, no, no. You haven't, you haven't got to the place where you get me exclusively. We have not, we've not got to that place yet. And oh, it was so funny as the Lord began to work in her heart, because he'd already told me, but, you know, she had to kind of catch up to what the Holy Spirit was trying to do. Uh, You know, and that's cool. I'm cool with that because I had to be patient. Oh, and you should see how, man, it was like, it was like, as we progressed in our relationship, boy, I had all these friends working in hotels, so I'd get all these comps <laughs> to all these wonderful places, and I'd be like, I'd be like, hey, man, yo, I need you and you to come with me Friday night. Why? Because I want to go out with Sister, Sister Shelody, and I can't do it. It's got to be, it got so fun that one of our roommates, one of my roommates, Brian, when, uh, one, one Thursday night, he goes, Hey, bro, where are we going to dinner tomorrow night? I'm like, loser, man. We're going to the Rebus at the, at the Mirage, okay? <sighs> Can't wait till I get rid of all these people. Oh, so many people went to so many fantastic restaurants because I had the group date. <laughs> but I was willing to wait. Until the time that it was just exclusive. And I'm like, oh, it's on now. (laughs) Just the two of us? Are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying this for all the young single people. Don't be going out with somebody that that, 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 that has not earned the right from God to be with you exclusively. Oh. You go, oh, you go send this to, t- okay. Send it to Tanya. Tanya, hey, Tanya, what's up, girl? Take notes. Better yet, isn't it better to get to know someone in the context of their family? How do they treat their family? See, I think it's important to get families involved. You know, your daughter comes home and says, oh, I'm going out on a date tonight. Oh, heck no. With who? Oh, with, jo- with Jojo. Jojo who? I don't know Jojo. I don't know Jojo. I don't know his people. I need to meet his people first. What? We're just going to In-N-Out Burger. Yes, and, and, and. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's hardcore, I tell you. Dating can be a series of new relationships 
that end up teaching it's nothing but how to break up with people. That's not good marriage training. If that person isn't marriage material, why are you dating them? By the way, if you're not marriage material, why are you dating anyone? From a guy's perspective, gentlemen, you are dating someone else's wife. Too often dating relationships are self-centered in our culture. It's about what I want, what I feel. I need to be loved. I need to be accepted. I, I, I. If I'm not satisfied in Christ, then I can't get no satisfaction. To quote, what's his name? If I'm not satisfied in Christ, how is it that an imperfect person can satisfy me? Therefore, she says, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. Girl, fix yourself up. Wash up. Put on that poco. Y'all know what poco is? Poco Roban? I don't know if there's a girl's version of that. Put on your best garment. In ancient Israel, due to the heat and the dust, washing was necessary. Moses required a ceremonial washing before special occasions with the Lord. And then you had to change your clothes. Naomi is telling Ruth to prepare herself like a bride would prepare herself by faith. Wash up, girl. Go down there looking like some girl from the fields. Get your hair did. Put on the paco. Anoint yourself. Fragrant oils, essential, er, essential oils. You know, you may go up to Boaz smelling like the fields. You want to smell good. Spice and whatever. <laughs> Fragrant oils used to protect and heal and make themselves pleasant to others. Change your garments. Don't go to Boaz looking like that. Girl, make yourself presentable. You've been working all this time in the fields. You got enough money. You, don't, you got a couple. You got one nice outfit. Put your nice outfit on. Don't come into his presence any old way. Follow the prescribed way. And then she says, lay at his feet. What? <laughs> Listen, come to him in the posture of a servant. In that day, it was understood. What it was understood that what the role of the servant was. To lay at their master's feet was to be ready at any command. Boaz was her goel, her kinsman redeemer, and he had the right to, she had the right to expect him to marry her and raise up a family to perpetuate the name of Elimelech. Elimelech. However, Naomi wisely counseled Ruth not to come to Boaz demanding that right, which she could have done. She could have brought the law and said, this is what the law says, homie. So, you know, what's up? When we get married. <laughs> but she was a humble servant, trusting in the goodness of her kinsman redeemer. She said to Boaz, I, 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 I'm coming to you respectfully. I'm trusting you, and I'm going to put my faith in your hands. 
And then Naomi says, he will tell you what you should do. Completely humble, submitted. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. The humility, the servant attitude toward Boaz. Oh, I was having a conversation years ago with a friend about about, um, um, uh, relationships and marriage and and uh, uh, she was a, a uh, uh, accountant, you know, um, you know, doing good, single, you know. Um, and we had just become friends. We had worked together years ago. And, uh, and uh, I had become born again. And we're having this conversation about God and about, the, about, about marriage. And, 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 and she says, okay, okay. And I'll never forget, she kind of like, she kind of, she kind of leans back in her chair and says, so what does the Bible say about marriage? And I knew where she was going. And I go, the Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands. And she goes, oh, I knew it. And oh, she rant and raved it's old-fashioned. And she's just going on and on and on about, oh, it's this old book. Oh, so what a submission. Oh, 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 oh. And you know how when you catch that big fish and you just let it go? You just let it go. And you go, click. <laughs> I just let her go. And she's oh, and waving her hands. I can't believe it. Oh, that's, oh, submission. I knew it. It's a, oh, and I went click. And I said, Rita, let me ask you a question. If you had a man who loved you and you knew you were the center of his world, so to speak, if, if he cherished you and he, and he, and he, and he honored you, and, and, and you knew you had no competition and, and you were his everything, not in a weird, goofy way, but I mean, you knew that he was yours and yours exclusively because he constantly told you those things. And, and, and I noticed her, I noticed the wall starting to crack and break down. And I said, if you had a man like that in your life, would you not submit to him? I'll never forget it. And she went like this. She crossed her arms. And she leaned back and she went, yes. <laughs> oh, I wish I had it on video. I'd be an internet sensei. Oh, wait, the internet wasn't around then. Anyway, oh, yes, yes. Ladies, take note of that. Submission is powerful. It's powerful. Take note of that. God tells his people in marriage that a, a woman should submit to her husband's um, lead and that a husband to sh- should submit to his wife's need. So it is mutual submission. It is mutual submission. You get the context that, that, that Ruth understands that. And though she could make demands, she doesn't because she's trusting in something beyond her own ability. This thing could go terribly wrong, but they're doing it by faith, trusting the Lord for the outcome. God is working in and through through this to accomplish His will. Verse 6 says, So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he wasn't drunk. His heart was cheerful. Don't take that out of context. My man Boaz had a little too many tonight. That's not what that means. (laughs) 
He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came softly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself and, uh, and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth. Listen to this, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. The spreading of the skirt over a widow was a way to claim her as a wife. And it's attested even in modern cultures in the Middle East today. Even in the present day, when a Jew marries a woman, he throws the skirt or the end of his talith over her to signify that he has taken her under his protection. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8, God uses the same terminology in relation to Israel where he says, I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you and made you mine, says the Lord God. That's what she's asking. Take me under your wing. Cover me with your garments. Bring me into relationship, into marriage with you. Verse 10, how will our man Boaz respond? He recognizes it's Ruth. And he goes, hallelujah! Woo! (laughs) I knew it! I knew it! I knew you liked me! No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. (laughs) Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness, there's that word again, at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after uh, young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you what you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Woo! Apparently, there was an age difference between the two, because he says you didn't go after someone younger. We don't know what that age difference was. Let's not try to read into it, but it was there. That tells me that she's attracted to his character. Boaz calls Ruth a chayel. Everybody say ha. You got to do it right down here. You got to go ha. Chayel. Chayel. Are you a Hayel? Excuse me, I didn't mean to spit on you, brother. Are you a Hayel? Oh, it's one of these Hebrew words. The basic meaning is strength, moral strength, good quality, integrity, and virtue. That's what he calls her. It's the same word used for a mighty man of Hayel, a mighty man of valor. If you're single, here's a question for you Are you a Hayel? I would suggest that you be the one before you find the one. Whenever there's a work of God to be done, there is always a test. Hang on, guys, we're almost done. There's always a test. Always. You're going to do something for God, you're going to get tested. Uh, And you might even fail the test, but you got to keep going. God spoke something, you know something, God gave you a word, you need to hang on to that word, but you got to always do it like this, but you got to keep, you got to keep believing and you got to keep working, keep believing and keep working and keep trusting. And there's always a test, 
Verse 12 says, Now, uh, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that he will... if he will perform the duty of a close relative, of a kinsman redeemer for you, good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. As the Lord lives, lie down till morning. This may be another reason why, why Boaz hasn't already, uh, you know, uh, asked her. Why, didn't, why Boaz didn't make the first move. Because there's someone else who's closer, who has the right of the kinsman redeemer before him. See, Boaz wasn't looking to work around the law. Uh, He was willing to lose Ruth in order to follow the law of God. That's an incredible principle. He is saying there is someone else who's in line ahead of me. And if he will redeem you, then let him redeem you. I'm not going to skirt the law. I'm going, uh, listen, Ruth, we have to do this the right way, and I'm willing to sacrifice you if that's what God wants. Even he is putting everything in God's hand, just as Ruth and Naomi is putting everything in God's hand because there is nothing they can do to make this happen now. There's a process that has to be followed, and they're willing to process. Boaz is a hayel. Verse 14, so she lay at his feet until the morning and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, do not let it be known that a woman came into the threshing floor. He's a man of integrity. I don't want no rumors spreading. Oh, man, you see who ran up out of Boaz's heap the other day, man? Yeah, it was. No, no, no. You need to go, sister. We don't want to shame the name of the Lord in any kind of way. Integrity matters. Verse 15, and uh, also he said, uh, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and and laid it on her. And she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, it is you, is it you, my daughter? And she told her all the man had done for her. And she said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your your mother-in-law. Then she said, uh, sit, my, sit, sit, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. All right, let's, let's, let's wrap this up. <clears throat> Whatever it tells us that she is, you know what? Oh, I got to move this way. There's, there's similarities between this story, and we're going to get to more similarities next in two weeks because Pastor... Pastor Brother David's on the mound next Sunday. The similarities between this story and our story. See, we're foreigners living in a foreign land spiritually. We're far from God. The Bible says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But then we're brought near by the blood of Christ. Let me read a couple of scripture verses to you. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, it says, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the people of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who previously were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. Before Ruth went to see Boaz, what did she do? She washed herself. She cleansed herself. 
If you want to have a deeper relationship with God, you must cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, 2 Corinthians says. There's a washing, there's a cleansing, a spiritual cleansing that only Christ can do. Before you come to him, you must wash yourself. She anointed herself. He anoints us with the Holy Spirit. She changed her garments. She has to put off the clothes of a field worker and dress as if it were for a wedding. She probably didn't have a large wardrobe, but she had at least one nice outfit for festive occasions. Naomi had the faith to believe that Ruth would soon be going to a wedding. She had to change her clothes. In Scripture, clothing carries different contexts and connotations. You remember Adam and Eve when they sinned against God. What's the first thing they did? They tried to clothe themselves. And that wouldn't do. But only the Lord could forgive them and clothe them acceptably. So what does he do? He takes an animal and that animal dies. The blood of that animal is shed. And he takes the the, the cloth or the, the, the hide or the skin of that animal and he puts it on Adam and Eve as a covering of their nakedness. Clothing matters. The prodigal son, when he came home after spending everything and and destroying his father's reputation, he came home. What's one of the things that the father said? Put on, take off those dirty clothes. That's my son. And put on a festive robe. He had to change his clothes. Zechariah chapter 3, Joshua the high priest is standing before the Lord and Satan is accusing him which is what Satan does. He's an accuser constantly. And it says, Now Joshua was was clothed in filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And he responded and said to those who were standing there before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again he said to him, See, I have taken away your guilt from you and will clothe you with festive robes. Then I said, uh, Have them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean headband on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. That's what the Lord does. Salvation is pictured as a change of clothes. Christian living means to take off the grave clothes. When someone died, they wrap them up in those grave clothes and they'd anoint them and, and, and wrap them up in the grave clothes. And, and, and the picture is that, is that symbolizes death. And that symbolizes separation. And then we come to know Christ. What does he do? He takes off the grave clothes and he puts on that festal robe on you. The robe of a child. See, the slaves didn't have these kinds of robes, but a son did. And a daughter did. And he changes our clothing. And we walk in newness of life. Colossians 3, 1 through 17 tells us. She was to lay at his feet. And then she was to listen to what he says to do. Then she waited for Boaz to work. After all that, she goes home and she waits. She waits. Think she got any sleep that night? I don't know. Maybe she slept peacefully. Maybe she was up all night. The Bible doesn't tell us. Here's the thing. Boaz was busy working for Ruth. There's nothing she could have done to help Boaz. In fact, she would have just gotten away. It's easy to start to meddle 
in an attempt to speed things up. Now, y'all never did that. I know, I know. Y'all never tried to help out God. How does that work for you? Uh, Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. There you go. There you go. It's encouraging to know that Jesus Christ is working unceasingly on your behalf. For he lives to make intercession for his people. He intercedes in heaven, Romans 8.34. He's working in us, seeking to conform us to his perfect will, Philippians 2 tells us. God's working, guys. He's moving. He's active. And he always has been. He always has been. One evidence of your trust. One evidence of your trust in him is your willingness to be still and let him have his way. One of the evidences. Talk to me about your clothes. I'm not talking about what you're wearing today. Talk to me about your spiritual clothes. Talk to me about what you're wearing. Uh, have, you, have you exchanged the old filthy rags, the, the, the grave clothes? Have you exchanged those for that festive robe, for that robe of righteousness. Because see, you cannot get into heaven with the old dead clothes on. There has to be a change of clothing, a change of heart, a change and a willingness like Ruth to say, I have nothing to offer. I'm a foreigner from a foreign land. I got nothing. And I'm throwing myself at my kinsman redeemer that I might gain everything. Have you done that? Have you consciously turned from the past, changed your clothes, wrapped yourself in those festal robes and allowed God to work in your life? Oh, oh, believer, uh, we might need to remind ourselves not to go back to the things of the past, not to go back to Moab. And if, and if you're not a believer, I, I strongly encourage you to change your clothing right now. Don't wait. Don't wait. What are you waiting for? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for this opportunity to share your word. Father, we, we, we are having a baptism in a couple weeks, and we want to see new life, Lord, if we may so boldly ask. New life. We want to see a bunch of people with clothes fresh from the cleaners, festal robes, like nice outfit, bro. You just got that, didn't you? Yes. Father, we want to see, we want to see people uh, 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 come who, who, have, who have taken off the old and put on the new. And this morning, I want to ask you just 
uh, if that's a desire of your heart. And you may not understand it all, but you know God has been calling you. You know you can't outrun Him. You know that the fact that you're even here today is a testimony to the grace of God. Because a lot of people can't sit in these chairs because they're not with us. But you're here. And maybe in your heart you're like, there's, there's got to be more. There has to be. There's a reason for this. And I want to, like Ruth, I want, to, I want to be with this God. I want to be with their people. But mostly, I want my, my filthy rags exchanged for the garments of salvation. I want to turn from the old and, and reach to the new. And I want to do it with Jesus. If that is you this morning, would you just lift your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. I'm in agreement. My heart is convicted. I I, I, I don't know a whole lot, but I understand enough. And if you've never done that before, would you do that this morning? Would you just acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? I want to give you an opportunity to do that if anybody has never done that before. Anyone at all? All right. All right. Yay, God. Yay, God. We love you and we thank you. May you be exalted above the heavens and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.